Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And in this episode, we have Stephen Backhouse, and we're going to be talking nationalism, patriotism. We're going to talk about politics and how it overlaps our theology. We're going to talk about how Christianity um, has drifted away from Jesus and may even be keeping us from Jesus. And so let's dive in. Stephen, thank you for, for making the time. <laughs> thank you for coming on. Um, can you give yourself a little bit of an overview of so people can watch this, listen to this, go, oh, this is who Stephen Backhouse is. Like, sum yourself up, maybe not too existentially. Um, you know, who are you and what are you about? <laughs> uh, if you're watching on a video on YouTube, you can see I've got a, I've got a framed risk board behind me. I've got some comic books. I've got some Kierkegaard books. Uh, let's see. You can see some books up on about, about magic. I'm really interested in the culture of magic and mysticism and why mm. people believe that stuff. I've got Karl Barth, Stanley Hauvas. You can see the kind of person I am, the kind of things I'm interested in. Uh, political books. So I'm a political theologian who loves board gaming and comic books as well as <laughs> reading Reading you must be a nightmare at dinner tables. You know, you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics. And so, what do you do? Well, I'm a yeah, political, I'm a political theologian. theologian. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a Canadian. I, I moved here. I moved to England. I live in England right now, but I lived. I moved to England when I was 19. Um, so now I've been in England for 23, 24 years now, and I grew up in a very conservative cultural part of Canada which really associated its Christianity with its patriotism. And mm. I grew up amongst, in a little village or a real town of self-described fundamentalists and where everybody was a Christian. And then I moved to England and it, it sort of blew my tiny little mind because uh, I couldn't associate being a Christian with being a conservative right-wing Canadian anymore, huh. Bible Belt kind of thing. And then, so that opened me up. It got me really thinking. I discovered Kierkegaard who helped me to use language about christendom and christianity and uh, and then when i when i decided to go to university i went to university in england and i decided to study philosophy and theology so i could study more kierkegaard and then that led me to becoming a political theologian because i used kierkegaard to look at nationalism and national identity and christianity and that led me into looking at politics and political theology and now i've been doing that for the last 20 years or so mainly about patriotism and religion and Christianity. So completely irrelevant to today. There's no Christians today. <laughs> that doesn't happen anywhere, does it? <laughs> nobody, nobody confuses their patriotism with their Christianity in this world and anymore. Um, and I also run a little thing called tent theology, which is a, I used to, before lockdown, I was a traveling theologian. I would go churches or networks or groups would hire me to come and, be their resident theologian for a time. So I would live with them for a weekend or a week and help set up spaces for thinking Christianly about your own Christianity without having to go to university to do it. And it, mm. that was great fun. And I still do it, but lockdown meant that it's a lot of it's gone online. So I run high yeah. level Bible studies or theology groups or discussion groups for different churches. I have regular relationships with churches all around the place now and uh, Canada, Northern Ireland, America, UK. And then part of lockdown meant that I also started a tent theology podcast because it was my way of staying in touch with my 
with my yeah. colleagues and my friends and to still keep my foot in the in the door as it were so that's what i do i'm sort of a freelance roving theologian who sometimes does oh yeah the other thing i do phil is sometimes because i'm a political theologian what i love is finding ways to do kingdom outside of church because i don't like churches very much really mm. i like my individual my churches that i work with i like but i don't like the church as an institution i don't i think it's done a demonstrably right. bad job of raising up disciples of jesus <laughs> and um so i i like looking for things that the kingdom outside of church. And I ended up, mm. I ended up doing a lot of political theology with businesses or organizations. And I help charities or startup businesses think Christianly about what they're doing and how they organize themselves, how they use mm. their power. That's a lot of fun to be some sort of theological management yeah. consultant. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. That, that, that sounds like a dream come true to a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, and it's nice not to suit. mark essays anymore, not to be an academic. Yeah, and mark there essays. you go. There you go. Um, that's worth it i'm fascinated so as you're talking about that right i'm thinking a lot of people you're not going to struggle to find people that are nodding their head along to what you're saying um as far as the audience of this show um people generally done with institutionalized the church you know this this empire that has become the face of christianity but as as you're going and as you're describing you, you you use the term kind of like christianly um you know like something that that i presume you mean reflects christ well, i mean but do, do you think that that is something that is largely divorced from the institution at this point and, and how would you describe this this goal of 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 something that is christianly well i don't even know if i like that i don't you like that word very much I, okay you know, if you listen to, well, within the first three episodes of my 10th Theology podcast, which, by the way, is specifically about renewing the social and political imagination. So within the okay. first few episodes, essentially, we just say, "Let fine, the word Christian, it's not that useful anymore, or it doesn't really mean what we want it to mean. It's so yeah. broad, it can mean anything you want. I'm not going to die on that hill. I'm not a Christian, that's fine. But you can call yourself a Christian and believe and do all sorts of things it's harder to say you're a follower of the way of jesus mm. and say and do all sorts of things so I, I like that more okay yeah So when i say christianly our language isn't very good so it, it's not very useful that word is, no, no. is diluted now but what i i guess what i mean is people whose imaginations are governed by the way of jesus that's what i'm interested in so yeah. people who want to deal with others the in a way that's informed by the way Jesus did people who want to do their politics or their money or their violence or their church in a Christ informed way, a Christian yeah. imagination way. And that obviously no surprise to you. A lot of people who call themselves Christian, in fact, don't like Jesus very much. They don't like his way. They don't like his words. They don't yeah. like trying to organize themselves and use their power the way he said to do it. And so I don't think they they might they might be christian i'm not even in the i'm not in the game of saying who's a christian or not i'm like fine you're a christian donald trump he's a christian fine of course he is according to almost any sociological historical statistical survey he's a christian is he following the way of jesus oh no mm. <laughs> so i'm more interested in that i'm way more interested in that than yeah, yeah, the yeah. word christian i'm not going to die on the hill of deciding who's a christian and who's not yeah no, yeah. I, I think it, it, I, I often say, you know, these these concepts, are we, we're so quick to label things and need things to be labeled. But generally speaking, labels don't particularly 
help us at all, generally speaking. Someone that knows yeah. us well already knows who we are, doesn't need a label. Someone that doesn't know us, as soon as they have a label, they're not going to get to know us and they're going to probably categorize us based on what exactly. they think that label That's means. That's a good point. Um, so with something like The Way of Jesus, though, I mean, even that, you, I mean, you could sit down with, uh, well, Fred Phelps is dead now, but you could have sat down with Fred Phelps, you could sit down with Bill Johnson, with John Piper, uh, with Bart Ehrman. I mean, you, you could pick a lot of people that have um, dedicated their lives to following the, in, in, in least as far as they would confess, they would say, I am trying to follow the way of Jesus, you know? And maybe someone like Bill Johnson is going to, by doing healing, I'm, I'm trying to heal people and, and be in the presence of God, and that's following the way of Jesus. Um, but then he might vote very differently than someone like, I don't know, John Piper. I don't know how John Piper voted. He just wrote a, a pretty good article actually about his uh, stuff. Yeah. But, you know, um, but John Piper, what was what is the way of Jesus for John Piper? You know, he's got quite a, a kind of neo-Calvinistic kind of uh, blend um, that a lot of the components of that, you go, oh, it doesn't feel very in line no, with but Christ Phil, this either. Is all just, you're just talking religion though. Like you're just talking competing. But these people would be very sense. quick to say, no, no, I'm following the way of well, Jesus. So, so yeah, what do you, how do you, to how do you define problems. that though? How do you, how, so for yourself, when you go, no, no, I'm following or I'm, uh, as I perceive the way of Jesus, like, what does that look like for you? What well, are, what you are just, the key components that you kind of take off and go, okay, this person's on the path of Jesus? Uh, the main one is violence. The main one is uh, killing people. Do you think yeah. killing a human being to solve a problem is a valid response for the way of Jesus. And if you say yes, you're like, all right, prove, show me. <laughs> it's not rocket science. We have limited data. It's not like Jesus wrote and said a whole lot of mysterious things. It's all there. It's, you can read it in one sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's four gospels. Find me where killing a human being, killing your enemies is part of the way of Jesus. Oh, but what about just war? Oh, but what about, you know, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying give me good arguments for killing human beings. I'm saying show me whether Jesus did that yeah um so i would say the same with going for healing i'm like cool cool that's the way of jesus all right let's do it um and i'm not even saying it's going to win the argument i'm not i'm not saying it works this is yeah. what always happens oh but that's really impractical it's really it wouldn't work i'm like i'm not, I'm not <laughs> talking about whether it works we're just saying is it the way of jesus or not it's always yeah. saying and so if i follow the way of jesus and i fail oh well that's not we haven't had a discussion about whether it is the way of Jesus or not. We've just had a sure. discussion about whether it worked. That was not and, a response to Jesus. Oh, this is a really practical output. Great. This will yeah. work really well. So yeah. if you wanted to have a chat with, <laughs> with John Piper or something about this, and, and he starts talking about neo-reformed Calvinism, I'm like, yeah, I didn't ask you about how well you're following Calvin. I'm asking you, when you have power, do you use it the way Jesus used it? Mm. When you have money, do you use it the way he asked you to do it? When you meet a foreigner, do you ask, treat them the way he did? Then if you can say yes, I'm like, all right, cool. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. not it's not that complicated. We've overcomplicated it. Yeah. Way overcomplicated it. Our moral compass yeah. is spinning wildly, and we have this all the time. I run across this constantly. Well, you just mentioned Bill Johnson or whatever. Like, so Bill Johnson, yeah. he he uses whenever he uses his public platform to, to promote politics, it's always promoting a politics and people who are ab like a hundred percent against the way of Jesus. Oh, but Bill's such a nice guy. I didn't say he wasn't a nice guy. I'm saying that his his politics have not been informed by the way of Jesus. Oh, but he's such a good Bible teacher. I'm like, no. Well, first of all, probably not. If this is if this is where he's at. But secondly, this we're not talking about whether he's a Christian or not. 
We're not yeah. talking about that. Um, we're talking about when it comes to these areas of life, uh, is his imagination informed by what Jesus did? And if it's not, mm. then it's not. And he might still be a Christian. Like, so we're not having that argument, right? That's not yeah, what yeah. I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to say yeah. Bill Johnson's not a Christian. I'm saying Bill Johnson is a Christian who in key areas of his life, he does not follow the way of Jesus. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, it, it seems for me, it's always been, I remember having a conversation with my mom when I was really, really, really young um, about this topic of violence, of like, what would you do if, um, I can't remember, I said, what would you do if someone came in the room with a gun or something and tried to shoot us or whatever? And my, my mom, I remember my mom saying, well, it's like Jesus would obviously not want us to respond the same way. He wouldn't want us to yeah. shoot that person. He wouldn't want us to try and get the gun off him and kill him or harm yeah. him. She said, I would try and save my family. I would try and get between me and uh, my family and, and this and this gun. I would speak to this person. I love them. I, you know, she, she was very kind of very Christian. But I'd pray for them. I'd, I'd offer them salvation or, you know, they obviously are hurt if they're wanting to hurt someone or, um, yeah. and I remember as a kid wrestling with this because it, it is, it's so counterintuitive. That's, it's, that's the problem of, of the gospel, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. counterintuitive. And it feels like generally speaking, we want the gospel to kind of line up with how the world works now you yeah, can argue whether we, we, the world we is just working want instant <laughs> well, like, of course Although, if you wonder about violence you're gonna know about violence for two hours i mean but uh it's just constantly anybody like me who 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 thinks non-violence is pretty self-evidently the way of jesus will instantly be met with all these scenarios but what about if mm. somebody did this i'm like so yeah we're not yeah. we're not i don't follow the way of jesus because it works i followed it yeah. because he asked me to well the, the early church wasn't famous. <laughs> the early church wasn't famous for all the apostles mass amazingly talking down crowds of uh, people that want to kill them, or amazingly, you know, subverting some sort of violent situation. No, they all got martyred, right? So it clearly doesn't quote unquote work, right? You end up dead if you really follow this through a lot of the time. But it did work. It's the two thousand years ago. It's but the it does most work well because known... it rapidly changes everything. Yeah, but it's the most well known, <laughs> long standing human or movement the world history has ever known. Mm. It works. Do you think, do you think though, as far as a longstanding human movement, I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the preamble before we started, what Christianity today is, feels very, or is for the the majority, for the kind of conventional masses, yeah. um, it feels very disconnected from what we're talking about as far as a uh, an ethic that is divorced from a punitive justice system, a, a violent justice system. Well, this is where, yeah, this is where I, my main point. So I said I did my doctorate on Christian nationalism. And mm, I really yeah. do think ground zero for all of this stuff is nationalism. And what I mean by that, or even just good old fashioned patriotism, like what I mean by that is we have the vast majority of Christians in the world now and in history have thought that their Christianity was the same as running a country or that the, one of the goals of being a Christian was to, to be in charge of the nation. And so we've equated the good of the nation with, we've judged how good our Christianity is by how well it serves our nation. Hmm. And that's, that is the root of all the things you've just described. So punitiveness, violence, Christians getting involved in all the sorts of social care programs and things. Uh, all this stuff is just, some of it is good. Some of it is bad, but all of it is Christians thinking that them being followers of Jesus makes them better citizens. Mm. And I think that's self-evidently not true. And also it's not the point. 
like it wasn't the point for the new testament it wasn't the point for the earliest christians and uh being a good pliant member of your home culture is is like the opposite of what being a follower of jesus meant to the earliest christians and so now for a lot of people it means the opposite and now the argument you always face if you want to follow the way of jesus when it comes to the way you treat foreigners what you do with your money or what you do with your violence immediately the instant response is basically like you can't run a country that way Mm. like yeah i know you can't (laughs) that says more about countries than it does about jesus yeah you can't run a country according to jesus a country And as soon as they started doing it, as soon as they got their, the Christians got their grubby little fingers on the buttons of power, Mm. this is why we have the problems we have now. We've invented cultural Christianity. It's our own problem. The idea of cultural Christianity or the difference between being an authentic Christian and being a member of Christendom and all that stuff. It's just totally invented by Christians when they started running the culture and assuming being a Christian was the same as being born. Yeah, that's it. That's the problem. So, I mean, it, it sounds to me like a lot of what you're pointing to here is is the the kind of the problem of the the issue of power. Really, Pe- people in these kind of huge positions of power, mm. the idea that power corrupts absolutely almost. Um, mm. Is it is it possible to be in these positions of power and be a, a good quote unquote Christian or, or a follower of the way? Maybe we, we might be better saying so, like some not some. I a lot of followers of or a lot of christians have to get used to the idea that being a follower of jesus might make you worse at some jobs Mm. um rather than better (laughs) and there might be some i think to be honest i I just think any job that requires you to kill a human being is Mm. already is just off the table yeah you're not if if your job requires you to kill a human being to solve a problem that's off the table. You can't mm. for, for followers of Jesus. And there might be a million good arguments of why you should kill that unborn baby or why you should kill that enemy who's about to bomb you. Million good arguments for all these things. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm just saying that's not the way of Jesus. Yeah. So stop calling yourself a Christian. You might yeah. be a lot of other things good for the world. We're not having that argument. It's just there's no way that any of the earliest followers of Jesus would think killing a human being to solve a problem was an option for them yeah yeah, well, yeah. which means change? some jobs are off the table for you yeah <laughs> no absolutely i mean yeah right there's certainly different yeah. jobs that i'm not going to line up for with my personal christian or or ethic that is very closely tied to jesus but there's some jobs I mean, it, but no christian has nobody has ever existed in a world of without some sort of ambiguity or i mean they all knew it. Like even the earliest Christians, when they, when they said, yeah, pay your taxes to Caesar. Like they knew that that was going to a bad place. Like they didn't, mm-hmm. they weren't pretending that Caesar was this upright, righteous guy. They knew that the money was going to bad things, but so they weren't living this kind of utopia of, of uncorruption from the world. They said, right, we'll do this because it'll lead to peace. It'll just, we'll keep our heads down, keep things ticking over, give the bare minimum we can prove that we're not trying to violently overthrow the government through some organized tax revolt and riot. That's what that is in Mm. Romans 13, for example. It's just Paul saying, look, don't raise up arms against your own government. That's not what we're trying to do. Get on with it. we got other things to worry about. And and so it is possible to be involved in in the world 
even if you know, like it's possible to be a tax collector or a policeman or something, and you know that other parts of your your institution are doing bad things. I'm not saying like no mm. Christian can ever be involved in anything. It's just the closer you are to to having to it being your job to kill a human being, the mm. the less likely it is that you're going to be able to do that as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about, because um, you you know your church history much better than I am sure. Um, I hope so, because you, you wrote a book on the, the church, the history of the church, right? Kind of an overview of <laughs> yeah. the, the history of church. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued, because um, I've looked at this a little bit, and, and it feels like there's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions on this. And there's little fragments here or there that uh, certainly in the early church fathers go, oh, look, this is an excuse. You know, this is, this is, yeah, this is qualification for, there was, there was an allowance for violence or this or that. And then other people jump on certain paths and go, look, clearly, like, you couldn't even serve in the military and be a, um, a Christian. Or, uh, yeah. And I'm not entirely, I, I'm not an expert in my, uh, my church uh, history. I'm certainly not a... Um, an expert as far as ancient texts and, and going into the into the depths of them but it feels at some point something's changed right because this is that's not the way we are now and it doesn't feel like that's been the way of um the general christian movement for a very long time oh, like we, ever we don't since, have to go yeah the, ever the since they're in charge right? ever since they were <laughs> responsible for the smooth running of their countries and their organizations that's when christians thought that violence was justified that's when that's mm. because of, that's why I say nationalism is the ground zero for all this stuff. Because if the Christians didn't think they were, it was their job to run the country. If they didn't have responsibility for it, they wouldn't have thought that it was valid to kill a, a, another person just because they don't look like you or sound like you. Mm. And so we do have, we do actually have some evidence of Roman soldiers that were converted to Christianity. And it's, it's fun. It's ironic because you have like uh the pro-violency type people, they, they go, look, see, there were early, there were Christians in the, in the Roman army. So it must be okay. Well, I have two responses. One is no, that just shows me that the rot started a lot earlier than <laughs> like that. You've all you've done is you've proved that there were that were disobeying the way of Jesus. You haven't proved that that's not the way of Jesus. Right. But the other thing is uh, actually go and read those, go and read that stuff a little bit more. What you'll find is there's letters from like a Roman captain writing to another Roman captain or to his governor. And he's complaining. He's actually complaining. He said, we've got followers of Christ in the, in our camps, in our soul, amongst our soldiers now, and they're refusing to obey the orders. Wow. What do I do with them? So even at that moment, you had Roman soldiers who had converted to the way of Christ and they were refusing to act like the good soldiers that they should be. And so the captains had to, you know, get them peeling potatoes or whatever it was like, yeah, sure. There were soldiers in the army, but they were refusing to kill their enemies. So you tell me whether that's evidence of uh, Christians justified in killing their enemies or not. It looks a lot more like what I'm trying to talk about, which is followers of Jesus are going to be a fly in the ointment everywhere they get. They don't make the system run smoothly. They are a problem to the system. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, I mean, <laughs> I guess the audience that listened to this, I mean, in many regards, not all, uh, certainly, but in a huge amount, the, the reason that they, that they became flies in the ointment of Christianity, they have been isolated, kicked out their church, yeah. rejected by friends, rejected by family, whatever it might be. And many of them, oh, they, um, 
they weren't serious about their faith or oh, they just backslid or, or whatever the, the language yeah, is. Yeah, now, yeah. some people choose not to follow the, the path of Jesus anymore and, and that's that's their choice. But actually a good portion of them would argue that the reason that this all kicked off was because they did choose to follow the way know, of that Jesus. That just happens all um, the time. They, they it, start to take Jesus more seriously. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you've had this. I've had this with the Bible as well. Like amongst the people who like to shout and talk about how much they value the authority of Scripture, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I started taking the Bible seriously, as soon as I yeah, gave yeah. up some of those inerrant and fundamentalist views, now the Bible is way more authoritative in my life than it ever was when I was a fundamentalist. Mm. And that's yeah. Sorry, and likewise, you always meet people who I'm losing my faith. I'm having a crisis of faith, and then you find out that obviously what it is is they just don't like evangelicals anymore, yeah. or they just realize that their church culture has nothing more to offer them. So yeah. I often ask people, so do you like? Well, because you know that the word faith, right, means pistis means following mm. the way of Jesus. It doesn't mean mental assent to a series of propositions. So you often find. Somebody will say, oh, I just don't, I can't, I can't hold to this or that teaching or this or that culture anymore. And I go, okay, so what do you think about Jesus? Oh, I still think he's the best person I've ever met. Well, you don't have a crisis of faith then. Yeah. Right. Now, yeah. if you said, what do you think about Jesus? And they go, I just, I just don't like Jesus anymore. I go, okay, <laughs> now you do, you do have a crisis of faith. Okay. Which is fine. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, but a lot of people don't have a crisis of faith. They just don't like evangelicals anymore. Yeah. So. Well done. You have a moral compass that's in working order. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like, I mean, when you look at Jesus, Jesus seems to be coming to um, the people of Israel. And, and this is going to be a very caricature description of what Jesus is doing. But uh, comes to the people of Israel who are very patriotic, very nationalistic. Their concepts of Messiah yeah, are all interwoven with nationalism and all that. Comes yep, to them and says, yep, hey, God is... God is not the way you think it, he, that God is. Uh, God is yeah. love. God is kindness. God turns the other cheek. God wants us to forgive. God wants us to love our enemies, not destroy our enemies. God wants us to live in peace with mm. other nations, not rule over them. Mm-hmm. Um, if he has given us any power, it's so that we can bring other nations up, not lord over them. This kind of narrative, I mean, this is yeah. where, after his first message, where he preaches from Isaiah, they want to kill him, right? Just because he's like, let's not kill the Romans, you know, time. and let's love everyone. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you've got these kind of, yeah. and it feels like Jesus is trying to like, undo this concept of nationalism and then when if we yes. drew a line in the sands you know zero ad or wherever jesus is um yeah. and then we start moving the other way it seems like it goes right back into what jesus brought was trying to bring the jews out of um it feels like we're coming back in and it, and it gets to the point where it feels i mean these people that talk about um their faith crises and and deconstructions becoming nomads becoming church refugees all these different languages that we use um, mm. It feels like they are genuinely, I mean, if you look at that pistis, this trust, this, this ability to trust on in Jesus or uh, ha- allow Jesus to trust in us, maybe. Um, it, it feels like the issue is not with Jesus, but the issue is with God who has no longer, if Jesus was trying to create this divide between what Jesus looks like and what God looks like and draw that right down, it feels like right. it's completely separated again. And people's crisis is they can't see a God in the church that looks anything like Jesus. Is, is, yeah, of course. Right? Are, is that a fair kind of summary of like the church today? Because I feel like the issue for people, like you said, they don't they don't have a problem with Jesus. They're like, Jesus is a pretty sweet guy. I like his ethics, like his teaching. Um, they maybe even have like a, a quote unquote personal relationship with Jesus. They talk with Jesus, pray with Jesus. The, the big guy though, 
little bit more sketchy, a little bit more cagey with the the father because father seems to have kind of drifted further away theologically from what Jesus is like. Well, Um, part of following the way, part of the way of Jesus, by the way, is that he also basically said, I'm God. (laughs) He's like, I mean, again, without you. Okay. Sometimes he actually did. So in some of the gospels, just say, I am God or I am the father. But other times he says things like every time he heals somebody, he's putting, he's doing something that only belonged in the temple that only belonged to God. He redefines family around him. He redefines national identity around him. He redefines the law around him. Like he makes, it was not hidden to the original readers of the gospels, what was happening. Mm. And uh, just because we think of Jesus as some nice, good teacher, that's nobody in the gospels thought he was a nice, good teacher. They, you don't mm. kill nice, good teachers, right? You kill people who think that they're God or that that you wish you wish they were their nationalist folk heroes who were going to redeem the nation in some orgy of nationalist bloodletting, Braveheart types. And then you cheer on that person and you say, here comes King David. He's going to kill the Romans for us. And then that guy storms the temple in order to let the foreigners in. This will be a house of prayer for all nations. And then you realize, oh, shit, this guy isn't the nationalist hero that we think he is. Oh, and he's now also redefining reality around him. And he's forgiving sins and he's doing all these things. We got to kill this guy. Mm -hmm. That's why they kill him. So that's the that has always been the battle. And that was the battle in the New Testament of that they don't like. The God, he says, I'm God, and this is what God looks like. And they don't like either of those things. Mm. And then you see this, this is the energy the New Testament spends. A lot of it is the other letters are trying to, in a way, reform people's imaginations around Jesus and away from their Gentile or their Jewish imaginations and identities. So yeah. there's that that reforming of your imagination to be a new people, a royal priesthood. That's the whole thrust of the New Testament. So it just shows you that these ideas of tribal identity or national allegiance, the, you know, the, the allegiance to the culture you were born into, it's been the most powerful rival to the gospel since year zero. Yeah. And that is the most powerful rival to the gospels in the gospels themselves and in the Paul's letters is that alternative allegiance to the home culture you were born into. That is the main. If you look at the New Testament, look at all the times that like people rise up to kill Jesus, or people rise up to kill Stephen, or they howl at Paul. It, you just got to pay attention how often the New Testament points out that it's at the time when inevitably it'll be somebody's talking about how God loves Jews and Gentiles, and that's when they rise up and they cover their ears, or when when Jesus will say you're the sons of you think you're the sons of the fair you pharisees think you're the son of abraham but you're the child of the devil and they rise up to kill him that's a national he's insulting their national identity that's what happens all the time it's the Mm. national identity that gets everybody wanting to kill jesus and so now today i just think well it's no different is it the national identity is the rival in fact it's way stronger this is the other thing is it's way more powerful patriotism is the most powerful force in the world way more powerful than the gospel Mm. it doesn't mean it's true or better it just means it's more powerful (laughs) what do you think's made that more of a force today than it was then that globalization kind of components or 
Well, I think it, in terms of the Christian imagination, the, the Christian empires. So they, so the idea of national domination totally won. And now it's not only has it won the argument, it's now using Christian language to justify mm. itself. So like not only did it destroy, not only did it beat, beat down the idea that following Jesus means it's an alternative politics. You not only did it destroy that feeling in a lot of people, it then baptized its language with using Christian language, really powerful stuff. So it's very hard to disentangle yourself from it. Yeah. And uh, so there's a whole lot of nations out there that, that still think of themselves. A lot of Christians think of themselves as living in Christian nations or that they once did, or they will once again, a lot of people who aren't even don't even call themselves followers of Jesus yeah. would totally think of themselves as living in some sort of post Christendom or Christian society. And it never was, it was never Christian. Mm. So it's there's centuries of, of, uh, what, what would I say? Mutual lying to each other. Mute- <laughs> Believing a fairy tale. Yeah, it's very strong. It hasn't been dis- now. The alternative voice hasn't disappeared. It it's always been a minority voice, yeah. but it hasn't disappeared because wherever one of the things Christendom had to do is it smuggled in the agent of its own demise, a little ticking time bomb, which is the mm. the New Testament. I mean, it, Christendom always has to have the new testament in some way or other and yeah. that new testament always contains an image of something totally different than what christendom produced and so yeah. every age of christendom will always have its people who discover the new testament and go wait a second this isn't what we this is this this book does not reflect what we've got right now so yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's interesting that you mentioned that. I, I, I read, it was probably quite a few months ago now, I read some of um, Stuart Murray's work. He's a researcher oh, yeah. that looks at, yeah. Um, and he does some fascinating work looking at Christendom and post-Christendom kind of effects on, on, on mostly Europe is probably the most kind of um, centralized post-Christendom kind of uh, yeah, region. And right. um, his conversation on, on this, and, and he comes probably from a more kind of, um, uh, not knowing him, but from reading his stuff, more of a conventional Christianity uh, as far as he sees it. But he sees it as quite an opportunity for Christians where he talks about um, for a long time, Christians have portrayed a gospel to a people that already think they understand it. But yeah. what they think they understand is the wrong thing, right? So, yeah. oh, yeah. I, I already know, um, you know, the cross. The cross is just God punishes Jesus so he doesn't have to right. punish me. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and they don't like that fairy tale, right? They don't like yeah, that yeah. mythology around the cross. Um, right. And and his point is suddenly you talk to kids in school in Sweden and you tell them the story of Noah's Ark and they're like, what the hell is this? I've never heard of this before. Like, I, growing up, everyone had heard of Noah's Ark, yeah, Christian right. or not, right? But you move forward 20, 30, 40 years and suddenly less and less and less people are understanding yeah. the the the, yeah, the yeah. framing myths around these kind of uh, initial myths because we these myths evolve and, and shape and change. And, and we look at things like, so something like the, the clearing out of the temple, which is a radical anti-violence, anti-sacrifice, anti-God is... Yeah this thing it turns around on its head and for much of christianity it becomes the linchpin of the argument that no jesus is violent see and god can be violent right um, and there, there's almost this this component yeah. of as people become more and more removed from, because i i do think that people that have this more honest honest that's maybe wrong 
and authentic is these are such loaded terms but people know, see are. the gospel maybe the way that um that you do maybe the way that i do presuming we see them the same way i, I don't know that we do um but in a way of nonviolence, all these different things there's a real problem presenting that to another christian because they will see us twisting the narrative they will go yeah, you're yeah. you're because they're, they're set in stone you know they only can see what they can see um yeah. How well, like a classic, that? classically, a friend of mine, she posts on Facebook, I'm going to loose the bonds of the oppressed and set the captive free. And she just quotes Jesus. And then underneath is some um, Christian guy going, oh, it's cultural Marxism. Right. <laughs> and this is what we have. This is Christendom now. Right. It's like loads of people walking around who call themselves Christian would get angry and violent if you told them that they weren't. And yet they do not recognize the voice of Jesus when they yeah. see it. Yeah. And this happens all the time and it yeah. happens amongst the, all the celebrity evangelicals and charismatics you mentioned earlier on as well. Like it's mm-hmm. not just the fringe people. Like it happens. The yeah. actual public spokespeople for Christianity yeah. do not like or recognize Jesus when he shows up in yeah. a room. And it doesn't matter with the tears are glistening on their cheeks after they've been singing a Sean Foyt worship song. It doesn't matter. They don't like or know the way of Jesus. And yeah. that's what a lot of what we're doing here. And, and I'm doing this like person by person because I don't think I don't think there's going to be some mass conversion. I don't think that's the case. And I don't think Christianity or the way of Jesus works very well as a majority rule. It never has been a majority mm. rule. More people who saw Jesus, even according to their own, the gospels themselves, the Gospels are a very biased set of documents, by the way. Like, they are intended to convince you that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. They're very biased, and even those Gospels don't hide the fact that most people who met Jesus hated him or tried to kill him. Most people. So, that following Jesus, he's not some knockdown, winning-at-all-costs kind of person. Yeah. One of the first things you learn about Jesus, if Jesus is God or in any way a representation of God, is you can say no to him. Mm. You can kill him. And so so the kind of Christianity that we meet today, which is all about domination and winning the culture war or winning the argument or having rights re- represented in court or whatever, it's all about just wanting to win the space they're in. Yeah. And I just say, well, that's not even... That Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus mm. didn't try and win the spaces he was in. So I don't either. But, yeah. but what you do is you offer things gently to people. So I don't know if you like Bonhoeffer very much, but Bonhoeffer famously says the gospel is weak. It'll it'll lose any argument. <laughs> it's so weak you can nail it to a cross. Mm. Uh, the point of of presenting the gospel to people is not to beat them down in some argument. It's to just say, here it is. What do you think? Hmm. Do you want it or not? And, and if they say no, you say, okay. But so I'm not trying to win arguments anymore. I just say, yeah. well, here's, here's what these words would have felt like to the first people who hear them. Here's the way of Jesus. What do you think? Do you like it? Yeah. <laughs> and they go, oh, you can't run a country that way. Or, oh, you, you sound like a liberal. Or, oh, you sound like a, to some people, I sound like a conservative. I'm like, Okay. I guess you're right. I guess I do. I guess I don't fit on your spectrum, but yeah. 
So I don't even know if I could, I don't even try and win arguments anymore. There's yeah. just no point. There's just no point. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting as you say that, you know, I, 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 I am a deep skeptic and I'm very negative, but there's a deep desire within me to want to be a bit more optimistic and positive. And I think it can be quite yeah, easy to be negative in yeah. this culture. Um, yeah, yeah, but, for sure. You know, looking across the boards, you know, whilst we can look at certain things and go, gosh, we've never been more divisive. We've never been more nationalistic. We've never been any more of these things. There's there's almost an inverse truth as well. And maybe this is the, the nature of our dualism in, in this world today, that if we were to look across the broad spread of um, certainly much of the West uh, yeah. and, and very developed nations, maybe even more so as we focus on Europe and maybe take a step out of America, um, it feels like the way of Jesus, the ethics of Jesus, you know, um, loving your neighbor, looking at restorative justice practices instead of punitive justice, things like that are yeah. actually becoming very popular, maybe yeah. not even within the Christian circles, no, maybe actually more so not in the Christian yeah. circles. Um, yeah. But do, do this is think- what I mean by having a, a, a moral compass that's, that's in working mm. order, because my measure of good or bad is not whether somebody calls themselves a Christian or not. And this is part of what I was meaning before is like some, some kind old duffer like bill johnson will say something and people go oh he's such a good man he's such a good christian so therefore he must be or somebody awful like donald trump will do something and then some people like oh but he's a christian or he's a baby christian i just saw that argument and so for them that's the end of the story as soon as you can identify somebody as a christian you're like all right fine it's the end of the story whereas i'm like well no calling yourself a christian is not the same as as having a moral compass set towards the source of all Mm. goodness and so I want to be in a position where I recognize goodness when I see it. And I recognize goodness based on whether it's the way of Jesus or not. Yeah. And which is why, you know, I can support 99% of Black Lives Matter movement, for example, or whatever it is. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't care that you call yourself a Marxist atheist. I don't, that doesn't bother me. Are you standing with the oppressed yeah you know and if you are then then i that's goodness and i'm with that yeah Uh, do you think you should kill now you know if i meet a a a blm who says i want to kill my enemies i'm like well i know i'm not with you there but sure so i'm not just sort of throwing my hat in with everybody but my moral compass is attuned hopefully to the way of jesus not to some tribal affiliation of christian or democrat or socialist or republican or whatever yeah yeah. Do you, do you think, I mean, so just looking at the data, I mean, uh, some of this data is a bit old, it's about five years old now because we're still waiting for Pew Research's latest, I think next year is their next um, religious landscape data. But as of 2014 through to 2019, um, 2,700 people left the American church, period, like to never go back every yeah. day. 2,700 people every day leaving the American church, never right. to go back saying, I'm done. And right. yet about 79% of them say, I still profess to have some form of spirituality and faith. Yeah. Um, then yeah. I, I, I look at that sort of stuff and I look at these people coming out, most of them coming out because of stuff like this. The number one cited thing recently in a study was that um, the evangelical support of Trump was the number one thing cited yeah, yeah. as to I'm why sure. people left the church and left their That's faith. True. Now, a lot of these people yeah. still then move forward. And in fact, it's this ethic that pulls them towards Jesus, this this... Yeah. loving of enemies, this siding with the afflicted, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're crying out for, oh, look at these people in cages, look at, you know, Black Lives Matter, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is that there's an oppressed. And 
it feels like problem is they've also been introduced to a form they think they're no longer they think they don't follow jesus anymore this is the yeah this is why I, this is why i look at nationalism and i think it's not just wrong-headed it's evil like it's mm. it's anti-christ like right to, to to adopt the language of our charismatic brethren i mean it is something of the anti-christ when you can use the language of christ to stand for the exact opposite of him so that when people reject that they think they've rejected jesus christ yeah like there that's about as corrupt and evil as you can get i yeah. think american evangelicalism is one of the worst forms of anyway christianity that history has ever known because it has so mm. dominated the culture it's so dominated people's imagination it's so dominated the conversation it has such a wide reach that when people reject christianity well when they look at american nationalist evangelicalism and they reject that they think mm. they've rejected jesus christ yeah like how evil is that yeah. And so, yeah, this is where you meet people all the time. They think they've rejected Jesus and they think they're atheists or whatever. And well, they probably are, but it's just because they, they've never, ever met Jesus. That's why I say it's like, yeah. you haven't lost your faith. You never had it. You never were introduced to Jesus mm. in all his glory. You yeah. were never introduced to Jesus. So you didn't, how can you lose something you never had? Yeah. Well, I often even say some, uh, some people uh, will crucify me over this. Not literally quite almost, um, over, I have often helped Christians become atheists because it was right. a healthy, progressive growth for them. Yeah, right. To be yeah, honest right. with you, if, if we're going to tear it apart and use this language, they were moving towards the way of Christ, um, following the right. path of Jesus. And to do that for them, they literally had to become an atheist. And maybe further down the line, maybe they become yeah, something probably. different, yeah, evolves, gross, whatever. But yeah. for them, they right. the presentation of Jesus, God's Christianity was so abhorrent, it had to be utterly, you know, a baby right. with bathwater. Maybe we'll come yeah, back later for the baby, but right now, it's oh, just yeah. got to go. If your family is abusing you, if you if you live in a toxic yeah. environment and everybody's abusing you, then you got to get out. Mm. Even if in theory, families are good things. You're like, Well, okay, maybe th in theory, families are good things, but in practice, this family right now for me yeah. is killing me. So you have to get out, right? And I, I, I can totally see that. Yeah, and because so I, I don't believe in like eternal damnation for people who don't <laughs> use the right word order when describing their position towards God and the Trinity. Yeah. Um, it's like fine. You're you're one of the ninety. You're one of you're the one sheep. Jesus is with you. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> it's not my job to save your soul. <laughs> and I don't think well, your soul is in eternal damnation anyway. So that's that's all. I guess that's what I was going to ask. Was, was how, how do, you, do 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 you perceive you know and whatever our theology of a person of Jesus sort of sitting up in the skies watching us or within us or whatever? But do do you see Jesus looking on at what's happening in the world right now as far as the 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 fastest growing spiritual movement in the world right now is people leaving religion that claim to have spirituality. That's the, the fastest growing movement. Um, it's growing faster than Islam, than any form of Christianity is people going, I'm done with those things, but I right. still have some sort of spirituality. Do, right. do you think what, if Jesus was kind of looking on at that and the general theme of what those people are like and what they stand for and why they're leaving religion, right. um, and maybe this isn't your expertise, but, but I look at that and I go, gosh, this is actually quite exciting to me. I, I get a little bit pumped about it. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. That's, why, that's why I've dedicated my life to doing this. Um, 
but but do you look at that and go, gosh, but they need to uh, they need to know Jesus as a personal savior. They need to have that language. They need to have these kind of. But it sounds like you're not too invested in that if they're moving the the way of Jesus into and, and creating the way of Jesus as as a way within this world. Yeah, but if it, they are, I don't. I do genuinely think the way of Jesus is the way humans work best. I mean, I do think it is the way of salvation. I just don't think salvation necessarily means a place you, I don't think it means a place you go to when you die. Like Mm. broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. I don't think that's a description of when you die, your soul is going to go to destruction or to life. And only if you've said a few words in the right order, will you get to life? I think he's saying, look around you. What things in life right now are leading to destruction? Mm. People are chasing after lethal violence. By the way, when I talk about violence, I mean lethal violence. I I think turning over temples tables is violence. It's not killing a human being. So lethal violence, absolute greed, you know, wild. Oh, I just think of all the stuff that is leading to violence or or to to destruction right now in this world. Pride, lust, greed. All the things that Jesus says, control yourself. Don't do these things. Narrow is the way that leads to life. <laughs> That's mm. what I think I mean by that. So I just because somebody's rejected American evangelical Christianity doesn't mean that they've automatically become a follower of the way of Jesus. Of yeah. course not. I still think they need Jesus. I just don't think it's connected to some sort of spiritual plane of eternal torture if they reject yeah. him. I think you can live in the hell now that you've that we've helped to create. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who do you, I mean, for people that have come from that kind of world where Jesus, Christianity, God's, you know, salvation, all these words are so loaded with us. Yeah. You know, years of kind of like indoctrination and, and seeing them a certain way. Yeah, you just can't hear um, them again. Yeah. What, what are the paths that you would recommend? I know that you're a huge fan of Kierkegaard. Um, and, and I know, to be honest with you, I see him as someone that um, very much largely was deconstructing and, and was a, a voice of, you know, deconstructing the, the system of uh, religion yeah. and his culture and saying, hey, yeah. this Christianity, not Christianity, as far as I see, to the point where when he died, people were like, oh, was he saved? I don't think he was saved. And yet, if I remember rightly, they found like a note of his or something, or it was in his will where he was like, I'll now go to my love Jesus or, or something like that. And so everyone was kind of like, oh, he was saved or he did like Jesus. And and so like, he was such a voice of contention for the church. Um, yeah. And I, I have to confess, I've only read about half of your book. I did try and get it all done by this podcast, but I, I just have been crazy the last couple of weeks. This is the um, biography I wrote of Kierkegaard. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. yeah. And yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I, I really, because I've, I've read a few of uh, different works trying to kind of out, lay out his stuff and gosh it's does it's a mess out there there's not much well, that's very the... easy to engage in and... <laughs> he's not easy my book no. is intentionally meant to be for a, an educated lay person to enjoy the life and ideas of Kierkegaard so well, I don't even know if I tick educated but I, I I'm loving it and I'm like oh this is something I can get into this is great <laughs> uh he gave us the language for making the distinction between cultural Christianity which he called Christendom and mm. authentic Christianity, which we would call following the way of Jesus. So that his his language was authentic Christian or New Testament Christian versus yeah. Christendom. This was his language. Mm. I think he's very useful. He's totally in the water for an, when it comes to modern ability to separate. Well, basically, he's aware of like 
so Paul is marching around in the in the book of Acts and he goes into a marketplace and says the name of Jesus. Nobody's ever heard that name before. So his mission field is a place where nobody has heard the name of Jesus. Mm. When I go into a marketplace and say the name of Jesus, everybody thinks I've stubbed my toe. So my mission field just happens to be a place where everybody has heard the name of Jesus to the point where Jesus is now a commonplace oath that people will, <laughs> will curse. Yeah. Uh, like, or everybody, there's nobody in my, I live in England. There is nobody in my country that has not heard the name of Jesus. Yeah. And you know, that doesn't mean they know Jesus or know anything about Jesus, or it doesn't mean anything. It just means they've heard the name. So that's my, that's my mission field as it were. This is yeah. my context. That's, that's, he's very useful for that, for thinking of Christendom mm. and cultural inherited christianity or christian culture as the setting you're born into just like you're born into scottishness you're born into christianity now and so we have to do a little bit of work to uncover what whether christianity is the same as scottishness Mm. and surprise surprise it's not (laughs) but we have to just do a little bit of work to unwean ourselves from the idea that Mm. being a christian is part of being a, a an inherited culture that you're born into yeah and it doesn't no, it doesn't it isn't and it doesn't come with those the same responsibilities that being born scottish does it doesn't come with the same allegiances mm. but we've treated it as if it's a cultural identity for such a long time that it's very hard to imagine it as anything other and yeah. that's christendom and kierkegaard's very good for for helping put a line between christendom and authentic christianity yeah yeah. So, I mean, apart from your book, which I highly recommend. And, and oh, you're asking kind of who else? Who else would en- engage with? Well, no, I, I was wondering yeah. who do you see as the the prophets of today that are are speaking to that group that are going, "Gosh, I'm so fed up with um, this kind of Christendom, this 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 system that is just such a mess." But I I don't even know how to what how to redeem these things because I've just not, you know, and and, and maybe they. They're not going to pick up. Um, I'm trying to. I don't want to throw anyone onto the table because it might be actually the, the prophet that saves. You know, I, I don't know. Um, but certain yeah. people are just too quote unquote Christian for them to even engage with. Um, who do you see as the modern kind of um, philosopher, theologians, philosoph- uh, you know, uh, philosophers, whoever it might be, that you go, well, gosh, these know, people right? are speaking the right language. These people are going to reach the, the those done with the church, but need to be need to be kind of held on that narrow path of not letting go of Jesus, but kind of going, no, there's, there's Jesus I want to hold on. Someone I think of maybe is someone like Brian Zand, I think does really well at kind of calling out one. And uh, do do you see like a, an emerging kind of group of people that you're like, gosh, these people are going to, going to be the people that save us. (laughs) There is a good handful of people. Like I said, this isn't, this isn't disappeared completely. And Mm. you tend to have to go into the, well, you don't have to, but the Anabaptist stream tends to have people who really pay attention to Jesus really well. You know, I'm sure you know Anabaptism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, so people like your Stanley Hauervast is somebody who I rate quite highly. He's the a Texan theologian, H-A-U-E-R-W-A-S, <laughs> a whole handful of vowels. Stanley Hauervast just writes brilliantly. And, you know, if you want to get a book, War and the American Difference is a good one where he talks about the, the core, the national identity and violence. And so Stanley will say like, you just, 
he'll he'll teach his theology classes and he'll say we can't go anywhere until i convince you that nonviolence is the only christian the only legitimate christian solution to anything it's at the root of everything and so he'll mm. try and convince everybody about that first but he's really good i like you mentioned brian zand well brian zand's best friend is brad jerzak i don't know if you know yes brad jerzak. good yeah i love brad so ja- brad jerzak actually is he's a regular guest on my podcast so if people wanted to hear brad i don't know if you've ever talked to him but I've had him on so, a while back. I need to have him okay. back on, I think. He's such yeah. a gentle, kind guy. And he's yeah. not some angry, deconstructed, cynical yeah. evangelical. You know? He was yeah. a vineyard pastor. And then he went through a time where he the, the petrol ran out of that tank. He Now he's an Orthodox. He's training to basically be an Orthodox priest or a reader in the Orthodox church. He's really well read. He's gentle. He's kind. I like he's a really good example. I don't use the language of deconstruction for myself. I don't feel like that applies to me, but I, and I'm not just looking for angry people. I'm looking for people who, I guess ultimately if they, if they are willing to face and then reject nationalism, then I think, all right, I I can start to hear your voice. Like, so if I find some Christian writer who doesn't reject nationalism, I just think I just, that's the canary in the bottom of the mine shaft for me. It's kind of like, well, if you don't recognize that as a problem, you're probably going to, your judgment is skewed. So I'm always, I always go for the non-nationalist. Yeah. <laughs> so Brad Jerzak is good. Brian Zand is good. He lost his, Brian Zand lost a lot of his congregation when he stopped being patriotic, you know? Yeah. Um, I like, I'm trying to, I'm looking on my bookshelves and stuff. I do enjoy, I'm trying to think who I, I'm I'm kind of a guy that likes older people, so I like okay. Charles Williams, who was a one of the Inklings, and he died in the 1940s. I like Kierkegaard. I like outsider thinkers. I've been influenced by Bonhoeffer, Karl mm. Barth's Epistle to the Romans is all anti-religion. It's just this brilliant mm. bombshell against religion. In the modern era, like people who are alive right now, I really like Sarah Coakley. She's a priest. Now, she's not going to be like this really sort of uh, politically, she's not a political theologian, but she writes some brilliant stuff about subversion and kenosis. So Mm. how kenosis, the act of withdrawing your will to make space for other wills, which is what Jesus does in Philippians 2, when he makes himself as nothing. It actually means he emptied his will to make space for other will. Mm. That, she's really good, Sarah Coakley. I like her stuff. Nice. You can find some people, but I I tend to, to be honest, I don't actually follow the whole like reconstructed alternative ex-evangelical crowd. I don't, I don't follow them at all. I, I tend to yeah. pay attention to people who have stood the test of time. So either have died <laughs> and they are valuables now or who are just voices, mature voices. They're yeah. not speaking out of an ex- immediate reaction to something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is, I mean, this is just natural. So this is how we grow and, and develop, isn't it? But we, it does feel that the vast majority of people that come out of that world that have been hurt, that have been betrayed, that have realized that the whole system is a bit of a joke, um, yeah. they do swing hard on the pendulum more often than not. Like it is the throwing the baby out with the bathwater and coming back yeah. for the baby. Um, I, and it, I think it is just part of natural progression of growth and development as you start to go, okay, hold on, let's look back, let's reintegrate some of this, let's figure out what kind of language and stuff. Sorry, which which book was that you were showing? Oh, I was going to say this guy, William Cavanaugh. It's a lot of men. I'm very aware mm. of that anyway. But 
Well, if you're going back to people that are like back in the day, it's going to be even more men, right? I mean, that's just. I know, I know. That is just that is the way it is. But William Kavanaugh has been very influential to me. He's a Roman Catholic American political theologian. He, uh, when I use the word of like Christian imagination, or when I talk about our imagination has been colonized, I'm getting all that from William Kavanaugh. But his book, Migrations of the Holy, series of essays. He was one of Stanley Hauvas's students. But just a, such a good book, a, a fantastic analysis of how how cultural Christianity or how the state has captured the imagination of Christians. And so that stuff, I like that stuff. But I would say, I mean, if anybody really wanted real advice, to be frank, just get to know the Gospels. Get to know the voice mm. of Jesus, the actual voice of Jesus. So I don't care if if you reject Christianity, like, good for you. Christianity is almost certainly fucking awful. I mean, it is rotten. Almost certainly, whatever Christianity you were introduced to is in lots of lots of modern Western Christianity has been constructed almost deliberately to avoid and get around Jesus. And Kierkegaard mm-hmm. makes this point very clearly. He's like, a lot of Christianity is just an edifice designed to protect us from Jesus and to justify our disobedience to his way. So if you really want to reject Christianity, get to know the gospel really well, get to know the voice of Jesus and you'd be surprised. And you don't, and you can read it. There's some really good, like uh, Ched Myers. Have you ever read any Ched Myers? No, I haven't. uh, uh, A new Testament political theologian, new Testament scholar. He wrote a commentary on the gospel of Mark called binding the strong man. And it just brings out, jesus that you've never met and yet it's rooted in genuine scholarship and genuine he's not some hipster dude writing you know (laughs) making fun of evangelicals he's a new testament scholar uh another another guy is bob ekblad i don't know if you've ever heard of bob ekblad but again new testament scholar but also not a political moron he's he works with illegal immigrants in america Mm. and he He's pro illegal immigrants. <laughs> he's a radical and, <laughs> and he's a new Testament scholar. And you read yeah. these people's books and you, you like, let them be your guide into the new Testament where they aren't trying to defend and tub tub thump yeah. for Christianity. They just think yeah. this Jesus guy is much more interesting than you might've known. So I would yeah. almost say, get to know the voice of Jesus as you reject Christianity and see what happens. Yeah. Well, this is something I found is uh, I found a lot of people um, as they go through this process, trying to find the truth, trying to prove Christianity wrong or, or you know, whatever it is. And yeah. what's fascinating is in the process of that, finding that some of the most militant voices of, you know, the message of Christianity is warped. And it's not what you believe or whatever. They actually frame. So I look at people like atheists and agnostics yeah. that are New Testament scholars. Um, right. There's plenty of them out there. Um, what's fascinating is, how they see Jesus. You know, you look at people that talk about the historical Jesus and they strip away so much of the gospel as going, well, actually probably not. Mm, That might not be authentic. Oh, that's not. And they go, well, what can we actually know? And what's fascinating is what they come out with is basically what, what you're putting forward. You know, they go, gosh, this was this radical guy who was really trying to subvert the system of nationalism in this. Now I'm not saying that's right. But but I do think that. It's fascinating. I do think that the, the the core Jesus that you get is actually also the divine character. So mm. that's part of the package. And and I don't say that from some faith point of view. What I mean is 
Uh, for example, I mentioned Philippians 2, which is the where it talks about Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he withdrew himself to make space for other selves. And then that hymn continues and it says, and, and as a result, he was elevated and all knees will bow and all the tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it's a, it's a hymn that has Jesus Christ who becomes God. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you know that that hymn is probably the earliest writing we have in the entire new Testament? Yeah. The apostle Paul is the earliest writer we have. He was writing in the forties and fifties. So Jesus was doing his thing in the thirties. Paul was writing in the forties and fifties. And in the, and in the book of Philippians, he quotes a hymn that he did not write. So he is quoting back to the Philippians, a hymn that they already knew, which was written well within living memory of Jesus. Yeah. This is not a church culture, which has had many generations passing and they've added and accumulated on top of, Oh, he was just a good man. And then they added all these supernatural elements. So yeah, you might not believe that Jesus was God, which is fine. Fair enough. But the earliest people within living memory of him, they did think he was God. Mm. Yeah. So our actual like historical literary evidence doesn't prove that Jesus was God. All it proves is that people thought he was yeah. right from the start. Yeah. And, th and not enough time has passed to accumulate, to make some legend out of a man. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I do think part of the Jesus that you meet in the gospels is somebody that was so startling that people were having their whole world. This is what, when it says, when people heard him speak, they were astonished at his teaching, says Mark. Mm. And the word is that you would, same word you would use if there was an earthquake and you had to grab hold of the nearest pillar to hold you up because <laughs> your entire world was turned upside down. And this yeah. is the imagery that you get in the gospels of the creator of the earth is here and he's reforming it in his image. And that's, which is, totally bizarre and i can understand why and i'm not going to convince richard dawkins or sam harris that this is <laughs> but i do think that's part of the inheritance we have in the gospel yeah which yeah. even christian churches don't understand or recognize because they don't think that jesus is god by the way no so all these evangelical christians who like to sing and to exclaim that jesus is god as soon as you say They'll talk about violence. They'll go, yeah, we know Jesus said turn the other cheek, but mm -hmm. what about the Nazis? What about blah, blah, blah? You can't run a country that way. So you're like, all right, so you don't actually think Jesus is God. <laughs> <laughs> you think Jesus is just a good teacher who offered something that you can now argue with. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or pit him against his father because, well, or what about <laughs> this thing we have in the past that well, God ah. is also this. He's, oh, you, Jesus is love, but God, God is also holy or just. And which is an, a refusal those... to, uh, to define God as the way Jesus did, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is to show you're not actually a Christian or you're not thinking yeah. you're a Christian. Yeah, well, I mean, I often when I when I used to travel and speak, I used to love doing this in churches because it made people so uncomfortable, and I love making people uncomfortable. And um, that's a really dark side of me. Um, but I'm not killing anyone, so I'm good. Um, yeah. And uh, I would go into church. I go, right, everyone, close your eyes. I want you to imagine this exercise. Me, you're one of the Israelites, and you've just gone to war with Cana. God sent you in to, you know, go to war, and you're you're fighting, and every man is just falling to your side and left and right, and all your all the Israelites, you're all winning everywhere. There's not one of you got a scratch on you. You've killed 
everyone, you go into town and you just get to pick out your new house. And so you go into this lovely big house and it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Your <laughs> wife's going to be loving it. It's got enough rooms for all your kids. And you make your way upstairs and you go into the back room and there's a young 14 year old that's pregnant and she's clutching a three year old to her chest. What right. do you do? Yeah. And the, the, it's palpable, you know, because everyone's like, ah, shit, I know I'm going to have to kill this thing, right? You know, it's, 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 they're, they're, they're trying to wrestle with the fact right. that they know how this story goes. I kill it. And, and I'm like, well, what do you do? You know, you've you got to figure out. And so, so people are coming to terms with like, okay, so okay. It's, it's the way it works, how it works. And I'm like, okay, so Jesus walks in the room. Yeah. What do you do? And what's fascinating is for every person in the room, the story changes. Something changes. No longer huh. is Jesus Good. going, yeah, kill him, kill that person. But, the, yeah. but the, the God that commanded them to do that, he was going, yeah, this is good. Yeah, he right. was like this militant. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it just highlights just yeah. how far we, we've painted and we, and we pick and choose who we have as God in the circumstance. So when I'm reading my book in my quiet time and, and I'm praying, I may be praying to Jesus and maybe God looks a little bit more like Jesus because my God is kind of this loving, kind brother, you know. Um, yeah. But when I'm, you know, justifying a war against Iraq, I may be thinking of the guy that went, was going, go into Canaan and kill oh, yeah. all the men, women, children. Exactly. exactly and and we, right. we kind of have this like fragmented, um, Michael Harden talks about like a Janus kind of faced God, you know, this two faced yeah. God. Um, yeah, and and we sure. pick which side of the, the, the face, which we kind of turn the God around. Like, okay, father this time. And, well, we turn and it back around. Phil, this is, this is my point exactly. And so then what's actually deciding which God we like is the one that's going to fit, make our nation strong again or great. Mm. Again. That's what happens all the time. This yeah. is what, like it's, it, it always, and by nation, I don't just mean your country. I mean, like, my people, the people I yeah. was born into, my my tribe. Yeah, uh, that's always the defining line. It's like, well, if it hurts my tribe, then I guess I'm going to read Deuteronomy, not the Book of Matthew. Yeah, and it, we do refuse to deeper. Just do not let Jesus re change our imagination of what God is like. And we've inherited this ridiculous view of the Bible as if it's some magic book that fell from the sky, and that the Book of Deuteronomy is absolutely equal to the gospel mm. of mark and it's yeah the gospel of mark is setting itself out sometimes explicitly the gospels explicitly set themselves up to to want you to reread and reimagine your hebrew scriptures yeah. and yet we don't we go oh this is interesting it's here in mark you should love your enemies but it says here in joshua that you should dash babies on the ground i guess we'll <laughs> go with joshua this time yeah it's evil and insane and it's just mute. It just makes a nonsense of any idea that Jesus might be the Word of God, and yeah. not Joshua. Yeah. Wow. No, that's it's sure. really good. So I think a lot of Christians just aren't deep. So then, when you say that to a Christian church, then they get all upset because you're challenging not the divinity of Jesus. In fact, you have such a high view of the divinity of Jesus yeah. that you're willing, shock horror, to not think that the Book of Joshua is literally true for you today. Yeah, imagine well, that. He, he demands we reimagine God. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to read the Gospels and not see that people were getting pissed off with Jesus, saying, "You think God's like this, but my Father, God, yeah. is not. He looks like me." And and people were actively right. pissed off at him before it, you know. Like and and, and I think if we're yeah. not having that response yeah. to whoever we're reading throughout the Old Testament, going, "Okay, I need to reevaluate that based on what Jesus said," if you're not yeah. having that response every time you read and then god said do this or god did that if you're not going okay does that line up with what jesus said 
yeah. you're not taking that seriously, it, 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 exactly. at least from my perspective, exactly. yeah. And you can see why Jesus was so hated and what they need to kill him. I mean, you really, you really don't try and kill somebody who says, wouldn't it be nice if we all were nice to each other? Yeah. That is not yeah. why you try and kill somebody. You kill somebody when they say, follow me, I'm doing something new and it's credible. And you have thousands of people swarming over the hillsides to be with you. Yeah. And the powers that be look at that and go, we are losing all Crap. of our power, which is exactly what the gospels tell us. This is what they say. The whole world is going over to him. So, and then you get some impression of, well, that same happens today. If you say these things in a Christian church today, everybody will be mad at you. So you get some mm. idea of the kind of anger that Jesus might have arisen in his nationalist religious culture. Yeah. So yeah. what do you think? I mean, we need to wrap up and wind down, but I'm intrigued from the, the political side of this. I mean, and, and it's all politics and it's all theology and it's yeah. all on some level philosophy. It's all, all intermingles. But I, I look at something like, you know, a lot of the audience listen to this are, are going to be American. They're facing an election right now. I'm not sure. I think this might be out by then. Um, but, you know, they're about to make a decision or you can make them regret whatever decision they've already made. Um, you know, you look at something like that. And you look at like, oh, you've got to vote Democrat or Republican. right? There's no other option on the table, really, apart from a quote unquote wasted vote. Whatever people think about that, you know, um, there's an element of when we divorce from this nationalism or even on a more um, subtle sentence because a lot of people go well I'm not that nationalistic you don't really understand like yeah. just an us them mentality this me versus uh, us versus yeah, them and my side my, I guess look I don't think like your average progressive Christian like their their problem is probably not going to be some sort of temptation to nationalist jingoism alright fine yeah. but would a nas- would a progressive Christian are they really into making sure that the people who look like them and sound like them control the narrative? Mm. Are they really addicted to dominating the spaces they're in, the intellectual or linguistic spaces, right? Uh, it's when you find people who cannot bear to let other people have be wrong. <laughs> mm. Now you're finding an anti-Christ-like mentality. Like it's that that impulse, which I see in, in any tribal group, which is like, it's gotta be, our group has to be the loudest voice in the room. Yeah. We need to dominate the space. We need to, our egos need to fill the space. Other voices need to be silenced. Get with mm. the program. I don't see right now, you know, obviously the conservatives have a, a pretty strong stranglehold on their, their dominance being used yeah. with Christian language. But I think we can recognize that that temptation or that possibility yeah. is completely there with the progressive side as well. Yeah. So, so it's more it's yeah. more subtle in a sense in that it's like yeah. you look at um, the, the conservative side, well obviously here we go nationalism yeah. patriots yeah. you know yeah. it's linked to this like high heightened religion yeah. but there's a subtle kind of um, I hate all these kind of terms and languages but this kind of virtue signaling of like oh I'm above that I'm, I'm beyond that look at, yeah. look at me I'm not nationalist I'm not but then there's yeah. a still a thing of like well yeah but I want my way or the highway I yeah. still yeah. I still want There's my that. group to have its way and, and in some ways it's like that's not necessarily even a um, on a practical day-to-day level I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that's an evil thing it's it's a good thing to vote for someone that does want uh, you know yeah. if your way is to have all included yes I think that's a really good idea to vote yeah, for someone exactly. like you uh, it's a great idea yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, our I, politics I, it, is way more than our voting right I mean we this is part Hugely of what more. William Kavanaugh would say is your 
your political imagination has been captured by the state as well so that you think mm. we all think that voting every four years or if we're in the uk every five years is is our political identity your politics is way more than who you vote for every four years mm. in fact who you vote for every four years is one of the least important political things you can do <laughs> and it is certainly one of the least effective political things you can do but mm. how you use your voice who you how you use your power what do you do when you're in the presence of somebody who's with different power than you how you use your money how you use your resources what you like these are all political actions mm. and you could be highly political even if you never voted yeah so I don't I don't like the idea that voting is the only <laughs> it's now dominated the entire political imagination. Yeah. What what partisan team are you on? And it's like, well, the partisan stuff itself is part of the part of the corruption of politics to be frank. Yeah. So, I do have sympathy for people who don't vote to be honest. Although yeah. Donald Trump is so bad that you just need to get rid of him. That that is true, but it's not going to fix the problem. Like if if Donald Trump loses, that's still not going to fix all the problems. <laughs> that's not well, going it, to solve such a partisanship system anyway. And that like you know this person that's in charge isn't making all the decisions. You know like no, they exactly. they have to run through a whole system of people, and then you go, oh wow, these people are in power, and then you look for a bit further, and go, oh these people no. are, and it does it filters down, doesn't it? Where you go, oh gosh, we actually have a lot of power to change things. Maybe I don't know. Hopefully, um, <laughs> or you go. Well, businesses are buying a lot. I'm like, well, stop giving these businesses your money. I don't know. You know, I mean, if Google are buying yeah, exactly. a politician, that's, that's use DuckDuckGo or something. I don't know. Or buy a yeah, I don't know, an exactly. Apple instead of an Android. Like, I don't know if there's a good option to buy. I don't know. It's who's a political. To buy, <laughs> it's a political decision about what you do with social media or how you spend your money on Amazon or yeah. the local. If you buy locally rather than through Amazon, like you got to recognize just expand your imagination to realize oh yeah that's also political because it's mm. it has to do with society it has to do with organized sociality it has to do with institutions which institutions are you going to want to see flourish and which ones do you want to see wither a little bit more do you rather these are all political things even if you're not talking about right or left or red or blue you are talking about our vision for society and how society works and i think that gospel new testament type things have a lot to say in that world yeah but a lot of christians don't think that they just think well it's it means every four years you vote red so the blue team doesn't win and like yeah. their political imagination is withered on the vine and i would love to see alternative the followers of jesus start to to really think of themselves as an alternative kingdom amongst the kingdoms yeah not as some place you go to when you die but as a mm. right now, the way we use our money and resources and use our power, it's right now is a political act. And that's the kinds yeah. of things I'm working for uh, without trying to dominate spaces and argue people. And it's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, well, probably I mean, not at the end work. of the day, we all want our us and thems. We all want those lines where we feel we belong. We feel we're a part of something. Yeah, exactly. We feel it's a very natural human condition. And again, that's why this is this is not practical or it's it's, it's uh, you know confounding the wisdom of the world or any of these yeah. kind of different terms that we might use I mean, one thing i definitely yeah. don't believe is this false equivalent i don't like false equivalent i hope that nobody hears me say oh well all sides are equally bad they're not equally bad because no. one side wastes and abuses human life is greedy is motivated by violence and patriotism and dishonesty and might is right the other side 
is motivated by violence and dishonesty and might is right and they're violent and greedy and bad and they do it in the name of Jesus <laughs> so tell me which side is worse <laughs> yeah uh, I do think that the right the, the, the absolute stranglehold right now that cultural Christianity and right wing nationalist politics has in the UK and in America mm. certainly in America like I do think it's a lot worse. There's nothing equivalent to the left wing right now. No. For all that the lefties have their problems, and of course they do, at least one of those problems is not <laughs> a lock tight hold on the name of Jesus as a baptizing for their politics. At least yeah. that's not one of their problems, you know? So, yeah. and and at least progressives aren't actively trying to kill their enemies. Which yeah. right that's what patriotic <laughs> military spending and all that is so I don't believe in false equivalence I do think yeah. the stranglehold of conservatism on Christianity is worse right now yeah. and I can easily imagine in a generation if uh, the progressives finally get their people in power and I can imagine that becoming a problem but come and let's have this conversation in a generation yeah. when the name of Jesus is associated with progressive domination over the space. <laughs> well, it feels uh, like but, a bit like at the beginning, you mentioned the, um, the give Caesar as taxes. You know, the early church was right. going, well, yeah, but like, what are we going to do with money? Not pay our taxes? Like, that's not going to work. Just give the money to, Just give to Caesar, yeah. move on and let's change the world. And, yeah. I, and I feel like there's a there's concessions to be made in the whole thing where you go, okay, well, I've got to vote one way or the other. One, left, right, here we go. Now, okay, both are corrupt systems, both are lost to power, both are this, both are that. But you know what? In the marginal differences, a lot of people are dying. A lot yes, of people exactly. are lost. A lot of people are hurt. So yeah. let me vote and go, that marginal difference means something. Even if yeah. it doesn't mean something to me, and even yeah, if exactly. it doesn't change based on my ethics, it actually yeah. could mean a very significant change in someone else's life. And yeah. I think yeah. that's where you you got to work with what you got yeah would we prefer a better system yeah would we prefer um you know uh, uh ranked voting or you know which is you know the power are never going to give ranked voting to people <laughs> and, um, but like but also, be nice? if, yeah <laughs> okay if you really if you really want to follow the way of jesus if you really do call yourself a christian or something well okay jesus didn't talk about voting systems he didn't talk about local versus federal spending he didn't talk about abortion he didn't talk mm. about taxation very much i mean he did but he didn't like talk about the <laughs> nitty-gritty right. of it he did however say don't take the name of the, your lord in vain yeah so which politicians right now which groups are taking the name of the lord in vain oh yeah maybe that's a clue <laughs> like we don't actually allow the concerns of Jesus to influence our political concerns. Yeah. We, we are so much more interested in, in having our narrative be the dominant one in the space that we forget yeah. that, um, that's actually the opposite of anything Jesus said. Don't do these things in my name. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. That, that is a, a monumental piece, um, to finish on. I might, I'll maybe try and bump this up so it comes out before the election. Um, but yeah, I'll maybe shuffle things around. Well, go but, and vote. Please, if you're American, please vote. Please don't vote for the person who takes the uh, the groups that take the name of the Lord in vain. But also don't believe, don't worship your own voting and don't think that it's going to... If the blue yeah. team wins, that is not going to solve your problems. And if the red team wins, that is not the end of the world. There's yeah. we got more things going on. 
Well, it, it, don't Work outsource. You're walking in the path of Christ. Don't outsource Do it. it to some politician. You know, vote, vote for someone else that will, you know, if someone else is walking out, give them power too. Great. And then go do it yourself, right? I mean, that's exactly. that's got to be the thing. It's got to be yeah, where exactly. we're at. Um, Stephen, thank you so much. I really appreciate anyway, you thank you very time. much. I really appreciate. It. <laughs> For people that want to track with you, you're on social media. You've got your podcasts. Like, how can people connect with you? Well, I'll, I'll make sure social we got media, not really. I'm, it's, not it really. makes my heart sad to to argue on social media with anybody. Check out Tent Theology podcast. Just Tent okay. Theology. Easy to find wherever you buy podcasts. I promise, if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. <laughs> ha 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 and uh, yeah that's the way I do it it's Tent Theology right. podcast and then my website is Tent Theology as well you can find all sorts right. of places is that other com? places I've dot spoken com? there yeah dot com awesome easy to find yeah, and I'm that's, on that's awesome. Amazon and stuff but I'd rather you buy if you're going to buy my books please do it through a local bookshop please order through a local bookshop if you want to buy my books that's great I yeah. love it Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Stephen. We'll maybe have you on another point and, uh, and dive into some other bits and pieces. I feel there's a lot of areas we could have gone, and you are clearly someone that knows a lot about a lot of different things. That I would, you're a lot better read than me, and I like outsourcing my readings. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to finally so, meet with you. We've been bouncing in and out of each other's inboxes for a long time. I know, I know. So many close friends have said you need to connect with Stephen. And I just, yeah, it's it's this world we live in is crazy. That's for sure. And uh, brilliant, yeah. It's taken a pandemic for us to be able to connect. <laughs> wow. Well, no, it's great to meet <laughs> Jesus bless you and your listeners then. <laughs> yeah, thank you, man. Have a good one, yeah? Okay, bye. All right, love you, man. Bye. So that was Stephen Backhouse. I hope you enjoyed it. I encourage you do track with what he's doing, tenttheology.com. Um, he does things, well, outside of COVID. He does things um, all over the place, Canada, America, the UK, uh, I'm sure other places as well, just looking through his itinerary. He's, he's been around and he does some amazing um, workshops and stuff. Um, and his podcast, Tent Theology, is well worth checking that as well. Um, links to his website and podcast are in the show notes, um, which is tenttheology.com, and the podcast is called Tent Theology. Um, if you want to dive into some other great resources regarding the concept of Christianity and, and tracking with Christianity in a maybe orthodox, uh, faithful sense that um, doesn't tie you down to uh, conventional Christianity as it has become, thegracecourse.com is a free website that I've created with lots of teaching materials on that for you to explore. Um, if you are deconstructing your faith, if you are going through this process and um, feel very lonely in that, a lot of people lose connection with church, community, family, friends. If that's you, the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to connect with people that have deconstructed or are deconstructing in your local area. I encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. And if you want to support what I'm doing and help me keep all these resources free, help me keep putting out these podcasts, um, help uh, me have conversations with people throughout the week, that's a full-time job for me. I do that full-time. And so I don't charge for anything. Um, I, I do entirely live off the generosity of people like yourself listening in. Um, and if you want to support what I'm doing, as little as a gift of $5 a month, um, it will give you access to a private discussion group that I've created and um, there's other perks there available, different things like one-on-ones, there's uh, monthly Zoom calls that we have as a group. Um, there's a whole bunch of different things like that. There's not much I can give you as a perk because everything I do is free. Um, so everything is already in your hands. But if you do appreciate what I do and you do have a bit of spare cash and I know 
that times are hard and I'm never requiring anyone to give, so please don't feel any pressure to, um, you can do so over on Patreon. You just search patreon.com slash phildrysdale or on my website, phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and that is deeply appreciated for those of you that can. And obviously, if you can't, there is no pressure at all. I really appreciate just your attention, just your ability to partake in the community that we're creating and building um, around the different social media platforms I've got. Um, I love hearing from you guys. I love connecting with you guys. Please do um, reach out to me if you need to talk to someone about your journey. Um, I'm always available over on Instagram. I'm just Phil Drysdale. If you connect with me there, I'll do my best to get back to you as quick as possible. I'm on there five days a week, most of the day um, and most of the night as well, actually. Um, and so do reach out if you need to talk. All right, that's enough rambling from me. I will see you all in the next episode. Love you all. Peace.